Letter forty of Clarissa Harlowe, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, Volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter forty. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Friday morning, seven o'clock, April seventh. My aunt Harvey, who is a very early riser, was walking in the garden. Betty attending her, as I saw from my window this morning, when I arose, for after such a train of fatigue and restless nights I had unhappily overslept myself. So all I durst venture upon was to step down to my poultry-yard, and deposit mine of yesterday and last night, and I am just come up, for she is still in the garden. This prevents me from going to resume my letter, as I think still to do, and hope it will not be too late. I said I had unhappily overslept myself. I went to bed about half an hour after two. I told the quarters till five, after which I dropped asleep, and awake not till past six, and then in great terror from a dream, which has made such an impression upon me that, slightly as I think of dreams, I cannot help taking this opportunity to relate it to you. Methought my brother, my uncle Antony, and Mr. Soames, had formed a plot to destroy Mr. Lovelace, who, discovering it, and believing I had a hand in it, turned all his rage against me. I thought he made them all fly to foreign parts upon it, and afterwards, seizing upon me, carried me into a churchyard, and there, notwithstanding all my prayers and tears and protestations of innocence, stabbed me to the heart, and then tumbled me into a deep grave ready dug, among two or three half-dissolved carcasses, throwing in the dirt and earth upon me with his hands, and trampling it down with his feet. I awoke in a cold sweat, trembling, and in agonies, and still the frightful images raised by it remain upon my memory. But why should I, who have such real evils to contend with, regard imaginary ones? This, no doubt, was owing to my disturbed imagination, huddling together wildly all the frightful ideas which my aunt's communications and discourse, my letter to Mr. Lovelace, my own uneasiness upon it, and the apprehensions of the dreaded Wednesday, furnished me with. Eight o'clock. The man, my dear, has got the letter! What a strange diligence! I wish he mean me well that he takes so much pains. Yet to be ingenuous, I must own, that I should be displeased if he took less. I wish, however, he had been an hundred miles off, what an advantage have I given him over me! Now the letter is out of my power, I have more uneasiness and regret than I had before. For till now I had a doubt whether it should or should not go, and now I think it ought not to have gone, and yet is there any other way than to do as I have done, if I would avoid Solmes? But what a giddy creature shall I be thought, if I pursue the course to which this letter must lead me? My dearest friend, tell me, have I done wrong? Yet do not say I have, if you think it, for should all the world besides condemn me, I shall have some comfort if you do not. The first time I ever besought you to flatter me, that of itself is an indication that I have done wrong, and am afraid of hearing the truth. Oh, tell me, but yet do not tell me, if I have done wrong. Friday, eleven o'clock. My aunt has made me another visit. She began what she had to say with letting me know that my friends are all persuaded that I still correspond with Mr. Lovelace, as is plain, she said, by hints and menaces he throws out, which shew that he is apprised of several things that have passed between my relations and me, sometimes within a very little while after they have happened. Although I prove not of the method he stoops to take, to come at his intelligence, yet it is not prudent in me to clear myself by the ruin of the corrupted servant, although his vileness has neither my connivance nor approbation, since my doing so might occasion the detection of my own correspondence, and so frustrate all the hopes I have to avoid this Solmes. Yet it is not at all likely that this very agent of Mr. Lovelace acts a double part between my brother and him. How else can our family know, so soon, too, 
his menaces upon the passages they hint at. I assured my aunt that I was too much ashamed of the treatment I met with, and that for every one's sake, as well as for my own, to acquaint Mr. Lovelace with the particulars of that treatment, even where the means of corresponding with him afforded me, that I had reason to think, that if he were to know of it from me, we must be upon such terms, that he would not scruple making some visits which would give me great apprehensions. They all knew, I said, that I had no communication with any of my father's servants, except my sister's Betty Barnes, for although I had a good opinion of them all, and believed, if left to their own inclinations, that they would be glad to serve me, yet, finding by their shy behaviour that they were under particular direction, I had forborne, ever since my Hannah had been so disgracefully dismissed, so much as to speak to any of them, for fear I should be the occasion of their losing their places too. They must therefore account among themselves for the intelligence Mr. Lovelace met with, since neither my brother nor sister, as Betty had frequently, in praise of their open hearts, informed me, nor perhaps their favourite Mr. Solmes, were all careful before whom they spoke, when they had anything to throw out against him, or even against me, whom they took great pride to join with him on this occasion. It was but too natural, my aunt said, for my friends to suppose that he had his intelligence, part of it at least, from me, who, thinking yourself hardly treated, might complain of it, if not to him, to Miss Howe, which perhaps might be the same thing, for they knew Miss Howe spoke as freely of them as they could do of Mr. Lovelace, and must have the particulars she spoke of from somebody who knew what was done here. That this determined my father to bring the whole matter to a speedy issue, lest fatal consequences should ensue. I perceive you are going to speak with warmth, proceeded she, and so I was. For my own part I am sure you would not write anything, if you do write, to inflame so violent a spirit. But this is not the end of my present visit. You cannot, my dear, but be convinced that your father will be obeyed. The more you contend against his will, the more he thinks himself obliged to assert his authority. Your mother desires me to tell you that if you will give her the least hopes of a dutiful compliance, she will be willing to see you in her closet just now, while your father is gone to take a walk in the garden. Astonishing perseverance, said I. I am tired with making declarations and with pleadings on this subject, and had hoped that my resolution being so well known, I should not have been further urged upon it. You mistake the purport of my present visit, miss, looking gravely. Heretofore you have been desired and prayed to obey and oblige your friends. Entreaty is at an end, they give it up. Now it is resolved upon that your father's will is to be obeyed, as it is fit it should. Some things are laid at your door, as if you concurred with Lovelace's threatened violence to carry you off, which your mother will not believe. She will tell you her own good opinion of you. She will tell you how much she still loves you, and what she expects of you on the approaching occasion. But yet, that she may not be exposed to an opposition which would the more provoke her, she desires that you will first assure her that you go down with a resolution to do that with a grace which must be done with or without a grace, and besides, she wants to give you some advice how to proceed, in order to reconcile yourself to your father, and to everybody else. Will you go down, Miss Clary, or will you not? I said I should think myself happy, could I be admitted to my mother's presence, after so long a banishment from it, but that I could not wish it upon those terms. And this is your answer, niece? It must be my answer, madam. Come what may, I never will have Mr. Solmes. It is cruel to press this matter so often upon me. I never will have that man. Down she went with displeasure. I could not help it. I was quite tired with so many attempts, all to the same purpose. I am amazed that they are not. So little variation, and no concession on either side. I will go down and deposit this, for Betty has seen I have been writing. The saucy creature took a napkin and dipped it in water, and with a fleering air, Here, miss, holding the wet corner to me. What's up for? said I. Only, miss, one of the fingers of your right hand, if you please to look at it. It was inky. I gave her a look, but said nothing. 
but lest I should have another search, I will close here. Clarissa Harlowe End of Letter 40